sinners and saints. Dust off those horns and halos. It's time for Alec After Dark. Word up, fam, bitches and taints. Uh, I mean, hello, sinners and saints. How you doing tonight? I am sounding very excited, I guess because I'm looking forward to going to happy hour. I need a few cocktails tonight, that's for sure. And I can't think of a better way to kick off my night than by talking to you guys. And I hope you're having fun. I hope you're feeling sexy. I hope you're feeling good. I hope you're looking good. God knows I am, and I'm feeling fantastic. Oh, God, that's a lot of words there in just 30 seconds, isn't it? It's kind of funny. I wonder sometimes if you, you all think that I should be speaking more in a southern accent since I talk about being from the south in the Bible Belt. Maybe I should be saying words like ain't and tarnation and holy shit, things like that. Well, that's just not me. So you wouldn't want me to be anything but myself, now would you? God, I need a couple of shots in me. What the hell? I meant alcohol shots, you know, like a, a Jaeger bomb or something, not a hot flesh injection. Although that wouldn't be a bad alternative, now would it? <laughs> you know, being a nerd myself, I'm always a fan of nerds, but sometimes I got to say something here. Sometimes you nerds can do some of the dumbest things. I mean, literally... At the urinal, all you've got to do is unzip, pull down the undies, and let her rip, right? P-P-P. Piss, piss, piss. But for some reason, one of the guys, it takes him forever to get his pants pulled back up and, and Mr. Wing Dang Doodle back into its cave. And I'm really puzzled by that. Why does that happen? What the hell is going on there? Can somebody explain that to me? Is it that difficult to put it back in? I don't know. Is it some kind of tucking method where you tuck the shirt into your underwear and then have to make sure it's correctly positioned in there, then pull up the pants and then buckle your belt and then zip them up? I'm just really confused by that. And maybe I should ask, but I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to ask questions like that in the men's room uh, unless you're getting ready to get jiggy with it. And trust me, while I do have a special fondness for nerds, this is one nerd that I do not want to tiptoe through the tulips with. But it just got me all bothered today. It was just irritating having to wait for him to get his act together. And it's like, come on. Not that I wanted him to turn around and expose himself to me. Not that I mind that stuff. But I guess the only other option other than some sort of weird OCD pattern of zipping, putting your dick back in, maybe his dick is gigantic. Maybe he has to wrestle it like an alligator or something and push it back in. But in that case, he should be proud of it. And I would think he'd be showing more of a box than he does. Some packages are worth opening. His is more like a greeting card envelope. So yes, we're starting off rambling pretty good tonight, aren't we, sinners and saints? And I apologize for that, but so far I'm having a damn good time. You know, I guess I should clarify a little bit more about the nerd at the urinal today. It took at least a minute. Does it take you guys a minute to zip back up after you're pissing in a urinal? Pretty sure it doesn't. Unless we're flashing back to the good old days, back at the EB when there were six urinals side by side 
and you just stood there whacking off, hoping that a hot guy came up beside you and wanted to deep throat your pork sword. I mean, those were the days, weren't they? Gosh, I miss those days. Those were fun days. Those were really fun days, and I really do miss them. And maybe I'm getting ready to have another flashback in this episode. I don't know. I'm not sure where this is going. I guess I will. It's interesting how, kicking off this episode, I didn't really have a primary topic to talk about tonight, but now I think I do. So, upon bringing up urinals, let's take a trip back in time to some men's room encounters of the sexual kind. I'm sure that many of you have heard of the New York Club Studio 54 that was prominent in the late 70s. Even if you weren't around at the time, and I wasn't either as far as being able to go, if you're a gay person, even twinks, you should have probably heard about Studio 54 and the notorious reputation it had. The EB, as I'm going to call it, here in the city that I live, it developed the same type of reputation minus a lot of the celebrities. It really was this wild and crazy place to hang out, especially on Friday and Saturday nights. I took to that place like a fish takes to water. The first time I walked in and saw that crowd and felt that energy and saw that dance floor and all the amazing lights and the sexy bartenders, I felt like I had found a new home. Now, It will never replace the club that I first came out to, but I have to say that some of my best sexual memories come from the EB. You would have loved it if you had had the opportunity to go. Just an amazing place to hang out. For a club, I mean, it was was extremely large place. The men's room was one of the larger men's rooms you would find anywhere it would rival some of the bigger arenas as far as the size of it and the number of urinals and stalls the owners of the eb the lighting in the men's room was well they used red light it was red light and i know you can think about the red light district and stuff like that and i believe that was the implication so while yes men went to use the bathroom to take a piss it was also alive with sexual energy as well. Some of my favorite encounters, my memories are in that men's room. I did not know, I was still a bit naive when I started going there. Believe it or not, I don't think people really can come to terms with me being naive at any time in my life, but I was. And it took me just a little while to catch on with the cruising methods that happened in the men's room. The first time that it happened, thankfully, it was so blatantly obvious that I didn't have to really think that hard about it. And I have to say that I believe it kind of, it really did become a fetish to me. See, I always had this fascination with glory holes. The first X-rated gay porn that I ever watched, one of the very first scenes in that porn was a glory hole scene. It intrigued me more than I could have ever imagined it would. I believe the glory hole fantasy kind of carried over years later to men's room encounters at the EB. One of my first experiences 
began on a Friday night. It was a little busy, but not as busy as usual. And I, well, I went to the men's room. I had to take a leak and I went to the urinals, just a, a quick piss and back. When I happened to look over at one of the stalls and the door was cracked slightly open and I saw someone inside that was looking at me. Now this this guy had jet black hair. He had these piercing greenish blue eyes and he had facial hair. And back in those days, you could take off your shirt and his was almost always off. And he had this incredible hairy chest that just sent my pheromones through the roof. I had a boner for him the first time I saw him. He oozed masculinity, if you understand what I mean by that. So I looked over and he basically was looking at me and I just stepped in to the stall and closed the door back. And before I could really say anything, he was opening my jeans and going down on me. Oh my God. It was just, I was surprised and a little not only intrigued and turned on, but a little scared. And maybe that's the intrigue of men's room encounters, that possibility of getting caught and trying to teach yourself to be a little bit quieter in an environment, even though the music was loud enough for the most part that you couldn't hear a lot of moaning and groaning <laughs> in the stalls. What? We literally exchanged blowjobs and a jack off and a cum shot each. And out the door I went, met my friends who were a little suspicious that it took me so long to take a leak, not really telling them what I was doing, but them kind of getting the picture. I don't know how else to explain that is that that was the first time and it really did change something in me that made me want to do it over and over again. I mean, hell, if you can have an orgasm with somebody else in a men's room and I don't have to take them home they don't have to come to my house and mess things up, and I have to make sure they get out the next day even better. But this guy, I didn't know his name. I recognized him, but I had no clue what his name is. He didn't know what my name was. We pursued this on any given night when we were there. It could or couldn't happen. And it just made for the best intrigue that I can think of. Every time I saw him, I wondered if that would be the night that we would do it again. I mean, you know, there's just some of the funky, kinky things that you can do and really kind of get away with it. You know, it's it's something to fool around with someone in a men's room style and then go back out to the dance floor dancing with your friends, maybe looking a little bit flushed and sweaty and just keep going. I, I don't know. It, I don't know how else to explain it other than it was one of the fetishes that, especially during that time, completed me. It really gratified me and satisfied me in a way that I didn't have to worry about the relationship part. Almost having that secret that we had made it even hotter. Now, sometimes if you were fooling around in the, in the stalls, you would literally pretend like when you come out of the stall, two of you come out of the stall, you, were, you would pretend that you had just snorted some cocaine or something to maybe cover up the fact that you were exchanging fluids <gasps> you know it was so funny though that as i become more familiar with this and the cruising techniques the straight bouncers at this club they would take girls into the stalls and you could stand up look over the the wall and look down and you could see them fucking i watched a couple of the straight guys fucking girls in those stalls too 
it was like everybody was in on this open secret. And for me, it really was like the good boy from the country coming alive in the big city, even though the city I was living in wasn't that big. It was this adventure. I was doing things that I thought that only people in the big cities did, that it was almost like reenacting some of the porns that I had watched. It really is fun if you are known for being the good boy for being a bad boy. Not that necessarily you should be equated with being bad just for having a sexual appetite. I don't know if you remember the show Queer as Folk, but one of my friends referred to me as Brian, that my personality, especially at the club, resembled his on the show, you know, very aggressive sexual appetite, very blunt, almost using the truth as a weapon. Maybe that's what I was doing. Now that I'm saying this out loud and thinking about it, perhaps I was playing a character. Was I really revealing my real self when I was behaving in such ways? Or was I just so caught up in the image that I felt like I had to keep it going? That's probably on the personality side, the sexuality side. That was me. I was very curious and I really wanted to live out those fantasies, even though ironically, like like I said, I was really intrigued by glory holes. Even my encounters at the EB, they weren't with a glory hole. There was no glory hole there. And I know that there are there were some in certain locations around town, but the only one that I'm truly aware of now is perhaps one adult bookstore and one adult bookstore that is like 50 miles north of the city where a religious group is so outraged that it's there that they placed a gigantic cross just up the road from where it is. It's hilarious, I promise you. This freaking 250 foot tall phallic symbol of a cross that's supposed to scare people away from an adult entertainment store. Maybe they know what they're doing. I don't know. I guess they think they're expelling the devil, but there's as much sex in their church as there is in that store, I promise you. For the next few months, I would have these encounters, not only with the dark-haired, hairy-chested guy, but there were several others that I would jump into the stall and exchange a blowjob. I recognized quickly that some of the guys that were into that sort of fantasy, they were definitely more aggressive in their pursuits of sexual pleasure. And it, it was freeing. It, it is a, a way to avoid a whole lot of unnecessary conversation. There's very little risk of having a relationship with any of those guys. The dark-haired, hairy-chested guy was always the one that intrigued me the most. And any chance I got, I would be in that stall blowing him and letting him blow me. I, I can't explain it. I don't know why he just had that chemistry, that magnetism that drew me toward him. Is a little dirty, you know? We're in a men's room stall blowing each other. And it just totally turned me on knowing that there were people outside that door using the bathroom, talking, carrying on. And then there were others in other stalls 
getting busy too. Here's probably the ultimate irony. We had been hooking up off and on, I'm going to say for at least six months. And for some stupid reason, that last time that we had hooked up, we're kind of cleaning up the jizz. I ask him his name and he tells me and I tell him mine. And that was the last time we hooked up. Apparently being anonymous was part of that intrigue between us. And I did find it very disappointing that we didn't do it again. I I don't know what it was, but knowing his name, he became more of a person, not just this incredible sexual object that I got to play with every few weeks or so. Having said what I just said, it really does occur to me now that maybe I was also glamorizing the porns that I was watching. That's where I first saw a glory hole. It was in the movie. And I really did want to reenact some of the scenes that I had watched. That's not too big of a leap there, is it? I mean, I think all of us, I don't think we look at those things to learn how to act, even though I have had people that I'm fucking (laughs) utter words that are from a porn Actually, the first, the very first episode of Alan After Dark, I refer to an incident when I was blowing a guy and he, he said some words that I knew came from a porn that was really popular at the time. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, that really does kill it. Not as badly as the dryer sheet falling out, but you know, that was a different time and a different place. I don't think it is a bad thing to want to fulfill your fantasies. As long as you're not hurting someone, and it is your fantasy, what's wrong with with trying to satisfy that? Honestly, I think there's nothing wrong with it. And I indulged in men's room encounters as many times as I could. And one of the best things about it is you always had guys who wanted to blow you. Some of them would get down and nasty in there, you know? A little bit of golden showers and stuff could happen, depending, but you had to be careful with that. Nobody wants to smell like piss on a dance floor, or do they? I'll be the first to admit that the bad boy image I was trying to develop really did go too far a few times. And it really wasn't me. It was me trying to live up to the image that people had of me. And in doing so... I did fuck up. Well, one time in particular. Well, twice I've fucked up. Well, actually, to be honest, I've fucked up dozens of times, just like all of you have too. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can always say they've been an angel their whole life. Even us goody two-shoes as we were growing up. I had a circle of friends, and we always hung out at the EB. And I've mentioned some of them in the past on this podcast. There was an additional one that we were friends with. Let's just call him, we'll call him Lyle. Lyle was in love with this guy that was really cute, very twinkish. We'll call him, let's just call him Chris, I guess. And Lyle would bring Chris around us. And when Lyle wasn't around, they would say, he is a fool for hanging out with that guy. That guy is a player. He uses everybody he comes into contact with. 
Well, unfortunately, as my friend had described to me before, the Brian of Queerest Folk personality that's within me came to the forefront and it made Chris look a lot more interesting to me. So he was a bad boy. And what better pleasure does a bad boy get than by breaking another bad boy, right? I think you all have, if you've listened to previous podcasts, especially the one about, the one that I talk about being not attractive, a lot of times you compensate for a lack of attractiveness by being a little bit more aggressive on the sexual side of it, not being afraid to say hello or saying you want to fuck or do you want your dick sucked. You'd be amazed at how many times that works, even with the hottest of guys. Even the hottest guys in the club sometimes go home alone. And I knew better than what I was doing, but I wanted to live up to this notorious brine of queerest folk persona. So sometimes I was definitely not restraining myself the way I should. What happened really was, it was just a coincidence when it started off, but it was a Friday night. We were having a good time. The crowd wasn't as busy as it had been. We were all there, and Lyle had brought this Chris guy in with him, and they were dancing. We were, I was dancing. We were all having a good time. This had been like the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time I had seen this Chris, and I had heard every time he appeared with Lyle, we heard the whispers and the stories about what kind of person he was and that that Lyle was was being taken for a fool and that if we were his friends, we should talk to him about it. I told him, I said, I don't have any proof of this. What, What have you got to show me that proves that he is this monster you're trying to describe? And they would just say, well, this person got ripped off by him. He stole money from this one. He stole money from that one. He has been known to go into restaurants and then they bail on the check, things like that. I'm like, well, I haven't seen that, so I really don't know. But on this certain Friday night, I walk into the men's room to take a leak and he just happens to be at the urinal taking a piss himself. For whatever reason, I didn't just go up to another urinal. I stood back leaning against the sinks that were on the other wall, just kind of looking at him. I know he saw that I was looking at him out of the corner of his eye. (laughs) he turned and and everything and he had zipped up and everything and he just offered me a smile he his shirt was up he had a t-shirt on and it was up too high I could see the waistband of his boxers so when he came over to wash his hands I just kind of reached over right at the belt buckle and pulled his pants up and said they're a little low and that was it he just looked at me and smiled well a couple of weeks later he was back again and he was getting drunk but he was getting drunk on Lyle's dime. Lyle was paying for all of his drinks. In his drunkenness, he leaned over and whispered to me about that little encounter in the men's room that me touching there at his waistband and pulling up his jeans just a little bit gave him a hard on. Well, at that point, I knew that all I had to do was just make an offer and he would jump on it. Even though I knew that Lyle cared for this guy, I was betraying a friend. And yes, I did betray that friend. Even though when I asked this Chris guy about it, he said that they were dating before, but they're not dating now. They're just trying to be friends. And I did ask Lyle. We all did over and over. 
ask if there was more to their relationship than just friendship. And he would say no. But then some nights he would say, but I would like to be in a relationship again with him. So, yeah, I did kind of betray his trust there. Okay, I didn't kind of betray it. I did betray it. People saw it. People saw what I had. Well, they just saw that all of a sudden Chris and I were hanging out and Lyle wasn't around. My friends were coming up to me and saying, didn't you hear anything that we said about that guy? And I'm like, well, we're just hanging out here. There's nothing, nothing to it. Well, until there was. So one night we had been hanging out there at the EB and he just said, can we get out of here? I just want to go somewhere. We did. Uh, We went to a hotel. I got us a room and we fooled around all night long and spent the next day together in a resort town enjoying a bunch of stupid little shops and terrible food. And he totally had dug his claws into me. So Lyle had every reason to be mad at me and want revenge. And by the way, he did take revenge on me. And I have mentioned that in a previous episode called The Straight Guy. When he got his revenge on me, he told the straight guy's girlfriend that he saw us, me and the straight guy, at a different club. Ironically, that was the night that we were totally innocent. It was just two guys hanging out. Yeah, we did dance together. We weren't grinding or humping each other. We weren't tonguing each other in public. We were just hanging out. It was the one time where he and I were actually innocent. Now, I had my hands full with Chris. And here's what happened. We started hanging out more, and he wanted to hang out at at places other than the club. And I was okay with that because I was really attracted to him. He's very sexy. He's very cute. So one night... We were going to this bar on the north side of town, and we were going to meet some of his friends. And he just said, hey, can I borrow like 50 bucks from you? I'll pay you back next week. I don't have any cash or anything on me. I know, I know. Red flag right there, right? Red flag. But I go ahead and, 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 you know, run by the ATM and get him some cash. And he says, I promise you, I'll pay you back. I don't want you to think that I'm some kind of leech just trying to, to hang out with just hanging out with you just to get money. And I'm like, okay. And I stupidly believe that. To my surprise, the following week, we were going to go out to dinner and go out to the club. And he gave me a check for the money and he just said thanks. And I'm like, well great. This is wonderful. You know, and I thought maybe all the stories about him aren't true. Maybe a leopard can change their spots. Well, it's an interesting thing that happened. So I get You know, it's about three weeks later, I get my bank statement, and I notice there's a reversal. There's a $50 deposit, and it's taken back out. The check that he had wrote me was on a closed account. There was no money in it, so it bounced. I just went ballistic. I call him, and he goes, hey, and I'm like, hey, you know what? That check you wrote me for that money, well, it fucking bounced. And you know what he said? Well, shit, sorry. And I'm like, seriously? So you purposely wrote a bad check. What did you think I was going to do or say when I discovered it, when I saw it on my bank statement? And he didn't really say anything. I was like, you are nothing but a fucking piece of shit and basically hung up on him. Well, of course, that was it. 
for the relationship. And I got all the I told you so's from my friends. So in the effort to being the living up to that reputation of being the bad boy, not only did I get burned by the guy that was burning the other friend, but the friend burned me too. So I got a double whammy and go ahead and say it. I'll say it. Karma. I deserved it. Ironically for him, this Chris guy, he did have the nerve to show back up at the EB one night a few weeks later, and I was drunk, and I got in his face, and I called him a thief, and I was yelling at him, like, you got money to come here, but you don't have money to pay me back? And he's like, you're making a scene, and I'm like, you goddamn right I'm making a scene, you piece of shit, and I run him off. Anyway, after that happened... Other friends came forward to tell me that he had taken money from a lot of people and a lot more than just 50 bucks. Apparently, one of the guys, he was getting his rent paid by him, and it was in the thousands of dollars he had taken. Strangely enough, this guy that I'm talking about, he all of a sudden, well, he found true love, he said, and he moved in with this guy that he was with, and they were together for just a little while. And suddenly I got word that he had died. And I was shocked. Apparently he somehow contracted meningitis, spinal meningitis, and they could not save him. And he died. Well, I was so horrified by it that I was like, I don't know what to do here. But I was t- people were asking me that night at the club why I was so upset. And I, I was telling them. Well, one of the guys that I had sort of been seeing a little bit of, we just never could really hit it off. I told him, he he came over and asked me, he says, you look like you're really upset. And I told him that this, that he had died. And he goes, oh, well, you know what? It could, he said something to the effect of, it couldn't happen to a better person. I'm like, what? He goes, well, he deserved to die. He had done so many bad things in his life and he had ripped off so many people. What goes around comes around. And I was like, holy shit, he really did use a lot of people and apparently abused them in a lot of ways. Well, financially, that made me change my behavior right away. I I mean, I know some people when I die are going to say bad things about me. There's just no way around that. But I think for the most part, people that know me and love me know that despite my flaws and my faults, especially back when I was young, I'm not that same guy as far as that level goes. I want to leave a legacy of at least a person who cared for his friends and protected them. I'm never going to say that I'm an angel because I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. But if I tell you that I've got your back, you can take it to the bank. I've got your back. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Alan After Dark. I hope you've had some fun. You've been entertained. Remember, take life by the balls and be real. We'll see you soon.